0: Okay, we are still in our series over the book of Matthew. Uh, We've been breaking that down into sub-series, and we are in a series right now called The Great Betrayal. Um, Now, I'm going to try to catch you up real quick if uh, if you weren't here last week, but last week, uh, Pastor Nate discussed how Jesus faced a kangaroo court, basically just a, a joke of a court that the Jews set up. And the reason is the Jewish leaders had no intention of giving Jesus a fair trial. That was never a part of their plan. All they wanted to do was find an excuse to put him to death. There was no chance they were going to find him innocent. right? Now, e- they were willing to do this even if they had to break their laws to do it, as we saw last week. Now, Nate also pointed out that after Jesus was arrested, you guys remember that Peter followed him, but he followed him from a great distance. He didn't want to get too close. He didn't want to be, to be identified as being with him. right? So today we're going to see how uh, Peter following at that safe distance was a bad idea. The title of today's message is A Safe Distance. Now, um, the thing you have to remember is that really the only safe distance there is from Christ is right beside him. I mean, you have got to be close enough to him to where you can hear every word he tells you and he can hear every word you're saying. It has to be that way. Uh, and then we'll finish up today's message by taking a look at Judas, the last days, uh, his last days on earth and the difference between remorse and repentance. Okay, <sighs> now you're caught up. Okay, let's jump in. Today we're going to start in 27, or actually 26, starting in verse 69. So it says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl, remember that, a servant girl came up to him and said, You too were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Now, I don't know if they had like a southern accent being from that area, but they, <laughs> evidently they were able to pick it out. Verse 74, now listen to this. Then he began to what? Curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Okay, immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words which Jesus had said before... A rooster crows. You will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, I've learned a lot of things in my over 25 years now being a believer. Man, that makes me sound old. Um, I got saved when I was 10, so 25 years would make me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but in my 25 plus years, there's a lot of things I've learned. But one thing just kind of stands out to me, and that's that I am always at my strongest when I am the closest to Jesus. And I'm always at my weakest when I'm not. okay. And some of you may have noticed that. Now, when I am reading like I'm supposed to, when I am praying like I'm supposed to, when I am worshiping like I'm supposed to, I feel strong and confident. You know what I mean? Have you ever been there when things are just going well, and you know that that you're as close to Jesus as you can be, and you just feel strong and you feel confident? And like I said, I know I'm not alone there because... God always empowers those people that do their best to stay close to Him. Okay, and it kind of works like this. I don't know if you remember when you were a kid. It's farther away from some of us than others. I know Ben won't remember, but... um, No, I'm just kidding. No, but... um, uh, You know how when you have to go outside in the dark by yourself? And that's scary when you're a kid. But when I was in Kentucky at my grandma's house, there's darkness... And then there's darkness, because evidently porch lights aren't a thing, or at least they weren't at that time, right? And when you would walk out there, as soon as you would get away from the porch, I mean literally, you know how they say you can't see your hand in front of your face? I thought that was just a saying. It's legit. I could not see my hand in front of my face. And when you're young, nine or ten years old, that is scary, because I don't know about you guys, but I have this crazy imagination, okay? And as soon as I get scared, I... I mean, I imagine some pretty freaky stuff. Like, if I hear a crunch over in the weeds, I don't ever think, hey, that's probably a squirrel. <laughs> I don't ever think that's probably a raccoon over there. I, I, don't, I don't think that. See, I immediately placed myself in the dead center of a horror film. <laughs> and that snapping was Jason from Friday the 13th, <laughs> or Freddy Krueger. See, we had the cool, scary movies in the 80s, right? And, and fear is this paralyzing, you, you almost feel, it almost feels heavy, the darkness, you know what I mean? And you feel like like people are looking at you or like someone's just waiting around the corner like you know, taking out a 10-year-old is everyone's greatest you know, life plan. But I mean, I would get absolutely terrified. But now when my dad would go out with me, when he would walk out in the dark with me, all my fears just disappear. Because when you're nine years old, your dad is the toughest human being alive. You know what I mean? I was like, bring it, Freddie. Look who's with me. <laughs> Don't make me get my dad out. You know what I mean? All the fear just left me. It just just disappeared. And that's the closest thing I can come to trying to explain. That's the kind of confidence you'll have as a believer when you stay close to Jesus. You just feel like no matter what anyone has to throw at me, no matter what this world has to hurl my way, he's got it. Because he's right with me every step of the way. That's the closest thing I can do uh, to compare that. Because no matter what fear you're facing, when you're walking close to Christ, it's just, you just feel safe. Now, Peter was in a dark situation here. He was in a, in, a, in a really tough situation. Because being a friend of Jesus at this time wasn't a good career move. Okay, Because the Jewish priest, the chief priest, they were trying to kill him and pretty much anybody with him. So your life was in danger just being a friend of his around the Jewish priest. Right? And so he knew that. Peter knew that. So he thought to himself, you know what? I want to I be there for him, but I want to keep a safe distance when I when I'm being there for it. Right? Now it never crossed his mind that, you know, this is the same guy that walked on water. This is the same guy that 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 rose people from the dead. This is this is the same guy that fed people, you know, thousands of people with a few loaves and a few fish. He spoke to the storms and they were calmed as he's walking on the water. I mean, that never crossed his mind that whatever they throw at me, if he's with me, I'm okay. That never crossed his mind. He just wanted to keep this safe distance from him. See, because Peter, he kind of made the same bad decision that a lot of believers still make today, right? He decided that he would just distance himself just a little bit in this situation, right and everything's going to be okay. And we often do that exact same thing. There are times when we say things like, "You know what, God, I'm I'm not going to pray about this. I'm not I, I don't need you right now. I got this. When the big things come up, I'll give you a call." And we've all done that. We all think that that's ah, not that big a deal. You don't have to be involved in every area of my life, do you? Actually, he does. So we think we can handle it on our own and all too often by the time we realize we really can't handle it on our own, it's a mess. I mean, it's just a complete train wreck, right? And that's exactly what Peter was about to find out. Because, you know, he wasn't actually a safe distance because there really is no such thing as a safe distance from Jesus. The safest distance you can be from him is right beside him. And for the first time, think about it, for three years, a little over three years, everywhere he went, Jesus was with him. I mean, he really didn't have anything to fear. He probably felt pretty strong pretty confident, but you have to remember Jesus was with him. And for the first time, Peter realized that I'm actually really weak apart from Christ. I'm very weak, right? So if you think back, this is in direct contradiction to the big show that Peter was talking earlier. Remember how tough he was talking? Let's look at that. Matthew 26, starting in verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said, now listen to this, even though all may fall away because of you, does anybody else feel like that really is punking everybody else out? You see the other disciples sitting there, and he goes, you know what, even though all these losers might not might you know bail on you, I will never bail on you. Even though all may fall away because of you, I will what? I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, you know, Peter just didn't know when it was time to shut up. He's just digging a big hole here. He says, even if I have to what? Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing, too. <laughs> what else are they going to say? You know, what else are they going to say? Not me. No way. I mean, big mouth Peter here, right? Don't worry, no matter what, I have your back. My own life is meaningless to me, right? Now, if you remember, as I, when I preached on this last time, I told you this. I really believe that Peter truly meant that. I don't think he was just talking big. Sure, he was talking big, but I think he thought he could back it up. Because remember, he had always been right by Jesus' side. He'd always been right by him, always in the presence of his Savior. And that empowers you. When you're close to God, you feel empowered, right? But now he was a safe distance or a long distance from Jesus, right? And he was weakened, weakened by fear, right? So weak that, if you notice here, the first two times he denied Christ, he didn't deny him to a well-trained guard, right? Somebody that looks like a WWF guy, right? He didn't deny him to Roman soldiers, right? He didn't even deny him to a grown-up. He denied him to two servant girls. Two servant girls. I mean, two little girls come up to him, and he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, scared of two little girls, and his third denial was just by some random bystanders, right? And not only did he deny him on this third time, but he's even swearing and cursing. You know what I mean? I don't know exactly what swear words he says. Landon, stand up and say a few. Let's see if we can... No, I'm just just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't know exactly what it was, but he was swearing and, and cursing because he was so afraid to be identified... With Christ at that moment. Now think about this for a second. Picture this in your mind. This is Peter who just talked a real big game. Not only has he put himself at the safe distance. He's denied Christ to two servant girls. And to some bystanders. And right in the middle of denying. He starts swearing and cursing. And that rooster crows. Just imagine. How his heart must have sank. Now, to be honest with you, the other people probably didn't even hear that rooster. But to him, it was probably as loud as thunder. Think about it. When I'm in the Philippines, they have these roosters. I like to call them crack roosters. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. They crow all stinking day. I have never wanted to kill an animal so bad in my life. I just wanted to walk over to the rooster and go, seriously? When the sun comes up, read the manual. (laughs) All day. And what I found out was after a while, you don't even hear them. So I'll bet everyone around didn't even hear that rooster. But it was as loud as thunder to Peter because that reminded him of something. It reminded him that he was warned. This is what you're going to do. Because Jesus knew he would try to keep that, that safe distance. Right now, I know what you're thinking. This is what everybody thinks when we come to this section of Scripture. How could he be so weak and so cowardly about Jesus, right? But before you even entertain that thought, take a hard look at your own life. How how often have you been at what you considered a safe distance from Jesus? And a lot of people say, oh, I've never done that. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. Because you think that there's areas that he doesn't really have to be involved. Right? But, like, for instance, something's not a big deal. I don't really need to pray about that. I'm just buying a car. Right? Anybody ever prayed a lot after you bought the car? Okay. Or buying a house. Here's another one. How about that safe distance you keep because you don't want anybody to think you're a Bible thumper? You ever done that? You hear someone talking and you know you could give them some spiritual advice and you're thinking, nah, they'll think I'm a... Religious wacko. I'll keep my mouth shut. I got to keep a safe distance on that one, because I don't want him to think I'm a Jesus freak, right? There's often that we allow ourselves to keep a safe distance, and here's what's scary: is sometimes that safe distance isn't safe at all, because sometimes we exclude him so often that we start to change our actions, and we don't become as faithful as we once were, right? If you if you start keeping that distance between you and Christ. Before long, I promise you, you're going to find out that you are doing and saying things you never thought you would do or say, because you're allowing yourself to get away from the strength and the confidence that comes with being close to Christ. And the farther away from him you get, the weaker you get, doing things you never even dreamed you would do. Because here's the way it works. You're always going to be influenced by somebody, okay? Okay? Either Jesus or someone else. And we're not going to get into who. It could be family, friends, peers, whatever, coworkers. But you will always be influenced from someone. Trust me on that. But here's the thing. If that influence isn't Jesus, you're going to end up in trouble. And we've all been there. We start to drift away from God. And you see things start to struggle in your life. And you find you're doing things you shouldn't do. You might find yourself struggling with your wife except me because my wife never does anything to make me mad. Right? But a lot of people, a lot of people, you find yourself struggling, there's all these things going wrong, and you start getting in trouble because, listen, a safe distance from Christ doesn't exist. You get away from Him, you're going to get in trouble. And I think it's kind of ironic because the Holy Spirit in us today kind of plays the same role that the rooster played here for Peter. Stick with me on this. You're thinking you did not just compare the Holy Spirit to a rooster. So stick with me on this because both of them, the job of both of them is to alert us to the fact that we're drifting away, right? To alert us to that fact. So let's take a look like when you get angry and start talking behind people's backs, you ever do that or, or, or you know, saying things you shouldn't say about someone and right in the middle of it, you realize I shouldn't be talking about this. It's almost like you hear that rooster crow, right? You know you shouldn't be talking. How about when you get angry? Right, And here's the thing, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but when you start getting distant from Christ, does anybody else here get a little grumpier? Good, I thought it was just me. Listen, sometimes you find yourself, because you're ang- really you're angry at yourself, but you start getting grumpier and you start biting people's heads off, lashing out at people, seeking your own revenge. Oh, you wait till I see them. Right? And right in the middle of your rant, your tirade, you just hear that rooster crow. It's the Holy Spirit going, what are we doing here? Really? You're going to get revenge? Really? That's what you do. right? We get angry when we see Nancy Pelosi on TV. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, (laughs) maybe that's just me. But sometimes when we start making that distance between us and Christ, we start to skip church. First, we think it's a great reason. right? And everybody has to miss every once in a while, but then you start noticing it gets easier and easier to do that. Just like when you're not reading and praying like you should, at first it really bothers you. Then it starts to get easier and easier and easier, right? And and when it becomes easy to not come and worship, when it becomes easy to not read the Word of God, when it becomes easy not to consult God in prayer, you should be hearing that rooster crow because you're getting too distant. That's the warning. I'm just going to throw another example out there, just, you know, not that I know anything about it. But when you're mad in traffic, let's say you're yelling at someone, let's say right in the middle of saying something about their mother, no, I'm just kidding, I don't do that. No, but right in the middle of saying something, yelling out the window, idiot, which I might have been guilty of a time or two, but I said, bless your heart afterwards, so all's good. Right in the middle of saying something like that, it's like you hear that rooster crow. You know what I mean? And before long, you start to realize that you're hearing that rooster an awful lot. And you will, the farther away from Christ you allow yourself to get. And if those, those crowing sounds or the, or the Holy Spirit moving on you doesn't turn you back, you're going to find yourself in a lot, lot, lot of trouble. Okay? So this, this rooster or Holy Spirit is there. The rooster was there to remind Peter, remember what he said, you're here because of your safe distance. The Holy Spirit is is here to tell us, hey, you know why that bothers you? Because you shouldn't be doing this, and you wouldn't be if you were closer and staying in his presence like you should. It's kind of the, the same thing, right? It should let you know there is no safe distance. So Peter finds himself here falling victim to like the the greatest trap the enemy has. When I say the enemy, I'm talking about the devil. I don't know why it is, but people don't like to hear about the devil. Now I'm not saying when you go out for coffee at Starbucks, say, so let's talk about the devil. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about they don't like it when I preach about the devil or hell. But it's just as real as God. And it's important that we realize we do have an enemy. Because the most dangerous plan in life is to pretend you don't have an enemy when you do. You actually give them the upper hand. And Peter fell victim to that. Because the enemy loves to convince us that we're better off keeping a distance from Christ. Hey, it's okay to have, you know, to do the things you're supposed to. Go to church. You know what I mean? That's fine. Go to church, you know, do the Christmas play, help out with that, you know, but... Don't really get too engaged because you've got to keep a little bit of separation here. You gotta have that's what the enemy's telling us, and that's what Christianity is slowly going toward. There are some people you won't know they're a Christian until they tell you that, and that shouldn't be. It's because they've been deceived by the enemy to think that there's such a thing as a safe distance from Christ. But the devil loves that because the greater the distance between us and Jesus, the weaker we are. That's how he separates us from the herd. Look at this. 1 Peter 5 8 says, but It says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, your adversary, who? The devil devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to what? Devour. Devour. See, his goal is to make that safe distance a far enough distance to where no one hears you screaming as he devours you. Boy, that was a rough way to put that, wasn't it? But that's exactly what he's trying to do. Right? And the only way to avoid this trap is to stay close to Jesus. Here's what I've never understood is people go, well, things are going wrong in my life. I just can't be close to God right now. That is so stupid. I don't get that. I'm really sick right now. I just got to avoid doctors. (laughs) Does that make sense? You know, and they go, well, how do you include it? You know, the Bible says to pray for your enemies. I just don't think that's possible. I've had people tell me that. Listen, it is possible. Is it fun? No, it's not. But here's how that works took me a long time to realize this when you're angry with someone pray about it but pray honestly pray honestly listen what you need is you need to get it out right you got to say something and I don't know why we're like that but you got to let somebody know how mad you are at that idiot don't you I mean anybody you're talking to the mailman he's going yeah I really got packages to deliver but you want to tell somebody so tell Jesus And this may sound terrible, but this is exactly what he expects. There are times when I've been mad, and I'm going to confess this to you. There's been times I've literally prayed like this, God, I can't stand him. That guy's making me so mad, I would love nothing more than to punch him right in the face. (laughs) I fantasize about stomping a mud hole in that guy. I can't stand him. I know that's not what you want from me. But you know how angry I am, and I'm not going to pretend I'm not. you got to either soften my heart, To where I can reach him or get him the heck away from me. Because I don't want to do something that's not going to represent you. That's how you do it. You just be honest. Instead of going and voicing your anger to them, voice it to God. Because he understands and people go, I don't want to talk to God like that. He already knows. It cracks me up when people say, oh, this guy's making me mad. I'm going to pray about it. Lord, please bless our wayward sinner because I love his soul. That is not how you pray. Jesus is going, really? Because in your mind, you're saying you'd like to slap him upside the head. So I got a contradiction here. Be honest. If you want an honest answer, be honest when you approach him. When you're hurt, when you've lost someone, when you're struggling with an illness, just be honest. Lord, I'm kind of confused here. You know what? I don't know why I had to lose that person. Why him? And I know you know all things, and I'm not questioning why you do them. I just don't understand. Help me. Help me to understand, because I know you don't do anything wrong. Help me. You know, Lord, why am I always sick? Why is it that I'm the one that's struggling? See, you feel like it's wrong to confront him with honesty, when that's that's exactly what he expects from you. You know how you can go to your parents and, and, and just spill your guts? You know what I mean? That's what he wants from you. Instead of bending everyone else's ear, talking about somebody which would be called no. gossip bend his ear let him guide you through it cuz you know what happens when you tell other people they give you bad advice you're right knock him out <laughs> bad advice right so here's how you stay close to Jesus no matter what it is that shakes your foundations you take it to him before you start this process of slowly slipping away Take it to him. Be honest with your pain. Be honest when you feel betrayed. Be honest when you feel like, like it's just not make life isn't making sense to you anymore. You ever been in those moments where you're just like, what's going on here? Be honest. So many times we drift away from him before we give him a chance to fix things and to direct us. That's how you beat that. Okay, so there's no safe distance. Now, this next section brings a lot of confusion, and, and I want to clear it up. Matthew 27, 1 through 5. It says, Now, when morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, and he felt what? What? Okay. He felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver... To the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. As he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. Okay? Now, there's a lot of people who believe that this is when Judas repented and became a believer. Okay? Okay? I'm here to tell you that is not the case. Okay. Judas never was or ever would be a good man. See, the reason God chose him to betray Christ, he wasn't going to pick someone who would believe. The Bible calls him the son of perdition. I mean, he was someone who was never going to believe. All right, and you're probably thinking this doesn't make sense. He felt remorse. Just hold on, I'll get there. Right? He was never a good man. But here's what happened is after he, you know, he set everything in motion with this betrayal, he realized, like Peter, the enormity of what he had done, right? He realized that his greed was going to cost Jesus his life, and he didn't expect that. He didn't expect that, and and it bothered him. It bothered him so much that, that he was so full of sadness and regret and remorse that he hanged himself. Okay, now remorse means to feel guilty about something. That's what it means. But you notice when we read through all this, we see that he had remorse. We hear that he had remorse. But I never saw him pray. Did anybody hear anything about him praying? You don't have to pray to believe. Does anybody read anything about him repenting? How about believing? All it says is that he had remorse. Now, I'm going to tell you something you may not have heard before. There is is a conscience that comes from God and a conscience that comes from the world. Did you know that? You know how you say, oh, my conscience is killing me. I just got to go tell him. I got to confess, right? There's two different kinds of consciousness. Number one, there's a consciousness where the Holy Spirit is directing you to do what the Word of God has told you to do. That's one consciousness. The other one is environmental. It's from where you're raised. I'll give you an example that seems way out there, but hey, look who's preaching. Cannibals. You never start anything off good like that. But if you find cannibals, they don't feel any guilt whatsoever about eating someone from the neighboring tribe. They don't. They don't feel any guilt. Why? Because they were raised their whole life that it's okay to eat people from other tribes. But they cannot imagine eating someone from their tribe. What are they, animals? You don't eat someone from your own tribe. Whereas you and I would think, you know what? I just don't think we should eat anybody. Right? But that's because they were raised. They have an environmental, worldly consciousness that says, eat other people, don't eat your tribe's people. Right? You can be programmed by this world to right and wrong. Okay? But this isn't what was going on here. Right? Let's take a look at this. I don't know exactly why he did what he did, but I know this much. I bet one thing that was coming into his mind is what Jesus said at that Last Supper. It probably finally made sense to him. Okay, look at this, Matthew twenty six twenty four, The Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he what? Had not been born. At the time, Judas was probably going, wow, that's overboard. Why is he saying that? He didn't realize the enormity, of what was going to happen <coughs> when he did this. So maybe those words came back to him, and he said, oh, man, I, I just, you know, I just, Sent a guy to his death by being greedy. Maybe that was it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he was afraid that everybody was going to find out what he did and going to be mean to him and treat him differently. Maybe that, I, I mean I don't know, right? But here's what it boils down to: he regretted his actions, and he regretted what was coming. I mean the the possibility of repercussions, and he felt guilty. All of which are things that the world can program you to do, just like anything else, right? But there's a difference between godly repentance and worldly regret. There's a big difference. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 10. It says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience. Now, did you hear that for a second? Don't skip that. The kind of sorrow that God what? Wants us to experience. Why would God want us to experience sorrow? He's going to answer that. Okay. It says, but the, uh, so where was I at? Okay, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in what? Salvation. salvation. Now, I want you to remember something. Salvation means deliverance, delivered from. It's not always talking about your soul. Okay? All right? But And it results in salvation. Now, listen to this. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But what? Worldly sorrow, that's that worldly consciousness I was just telling you about. Your programming of what's right and wrong here in this world, right? But worldly sorrow, which lacks what? Repentance results in spiritual death. Okay, so remember, regret means to feel guilty about something, repent means you're going to change something. It means to change your mind, change your direction, turn away from. Okay, I see a lot of remorse. I don't see any repentance here, none whatsoever. And the reason I think this is so important to bring up is because I don't want people believing that feeling bad about what you've done is enough. It's not enough. Listen, if there's something in your life that's keeping you from God, don't just feel bad about it, repent of it. Get it out of your life. Everybody feels bad when they do something wrong. Believers are supposed to make it right. They're supposed to make it right. That's why this is so important. Jesus, I mean, Jesus was put to death because of what this man did. Sure, he felt guilty. But he certainly showed no signs of repentance and he didn't believe. He feeling guilty wasn't enough. Okay, very, very important. Right now, after that, let's move on to verses uh, 7 through 10. It says, after Judas left, the priest decided not to keep any of the money. That Jesus, uh, here it is, uh, I skipped ahead. 27-7 says, and they... Conferred together with the money brought to the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave it, uh, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now, this is such a funny section to me. I shouldn't say funny, but ironic. Okay, get this. Judas throws the 30 pieces of silver back in there in the sanctuary. But they couldn't keep it. They couldn't keep it. And the reason they couldn't keep it was because it was against the law of Moses to keep money that had ended up, you know, the price of blood. Oh, now they're going to keep the law. The whole trial was a sham. They broke the law of Moses four or five times just in trying Jesus. The high priest wasn't supposed to question all the things that Nate told you last week. They broke all those laws, but oh, now we've got to be careful about you know, taking money that was the price of blood. We've got to be careful about that. So they took this, they took, I'll explain what that is in a minute here. So they took this 30 pieces of silver and they purchased a potter's field. Does anybody know what that is? In our terms, it's, where you, it's a place where you bury like Jane Doe's and John Doe's. People who die who have no family, you don't know who they are, you know, or they, you know, it's just a way to bury someone that has no connections. That's what we do. The Jews, when they bought a potter's field, it was a place where the Jews buried what they said were strangers. Now understand, what it meant by strangers was non-local or unknown Jews who died in Jerusalem. They weren't going to mess with burying a Gentile. Are you kidding me? They'd let them lay there and rot. Right. What this meant was if someone was a Jew visiting that city and they died and no one knew who their family was and no one knew what town they came from, all they knew was that that they were a Jew, this was a paid-for area to give them a respectful Jewish burial. Strangers, Jews they did not know that were not from that area. So they used it to buy that. Now, the reason it was against the law of Moses was you couldn't use any money that was for the price of blood. And what that meant was money that was paid uh, for an action that ended up in someone's death. So if you paid someone to investigate something and they found, you know, damning evidence and brought it back and that was what convicted him and put him to death, that's blood money according to the law of Moses. Even though it did a good thing, it ended in someone's death, that could not be used by the treasury of the priest. It could not be used. It was the price of blood. So, you know, they got to keep the law. Do you guys see the hypocrisy here? Do you guys see this? I mean, Oh, we've got to make sure we keep the, you know, the letter of the law. Don't keep that 30 pieces of silver. But hey, it's okay to smoke Jesus for nothing. It's okay to sham him in a trial. Because, see, he threatens our authority and our power and our position. So we got to get rid of him. So basically they were saying, follow the law when it's convenient to, do, to you. Ever meet a Christian that uses the Bible when it's convenient but not when it's not? We like to call them hypocrites. Right? It, this is, I'll be honest, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things that frustrate me about Christianity sometimes. And I know you're all going, oh, I can't believe you said that you're a pastor. Whatever, get over it. Anyway, but the thing about Christianity that, that agitates me the most is hypocrites, hypocrisy. And let's just be honest, everyone in this room has been one at one time or another. Hypocrite just means an actor. You're saying something or doing something that you're not. Right. You're pretending to be something that you're not. Judas pretended to be a disciple that loved the Lord. Realistically, he was a hypocrite. He was there to rip off the treasury. Didn't care. That's being a hypocrite. And we see that alive and well, and it keeps so many people from coming to the Lord, and that's a shame, right? Because, listen, I'm going to tell you this story, which I probably shouldn't, but there again, I have no filter. That I knew these people who belong to a church that will remain unnamed, who were so stinking judgmental, I couldn't stand to even be in the same room with them. They were churchy people, and I'm not a fan of that, you know, people who are about church, not about Jesus, that's what I'm talking about. And they were so judgmental, I mean, they would sit and talk about what somebody wore. Oh, I can't believe they would wear jeans to church. Yeah, can you believe those people? They didn't think people should wear a hat in church. None of this stuff is in the Bible. But they would judge people so harshly for that. They would judge what kind of music they listened to, judge their hair, their facial hair, their social status, whether they had tattoos or not. It's like, and these people, now I want to, I should have put this in at the beginning of this long story. They were in the leadership team at their church. And some of the most, I'm I'm not kidding you, some of the most judgmental people I've ever met. But sometimes God allows me to find things out that I don't want to know. Here's one of those times. They had a retreat, that group of of church leaders. And when they got out of town, they they were getting drunk, cussing and bickering and arguing. The police got involved, right? But when it was all cleared up, they came back, and it's okay because nobody at home knows, so surely God doesn't know, right? That drives me crazy when people do that to me. Oh, I can't say it in front of you, Pastor. Well, if you're thinking it, God already knows it. You might as well. This is what they were doing. And then when they came back to town, this is what made me mad. Because now I can't even look at them. And that's terrible, but I can't. They got back to town the next day, right back to judgment as usual. Talking about people, bringing people before the church. And I just wanted to yak. You know what I mean? Hypocrisy gets to me. And here's why. Here's why. Because you're basically becoming a modern-day Judas when you're a hypocrite. And here's the other thing. People who don't try to keep a safe distance from Jesus, people who want to be close to God, find something out quickly, right? You don't have time. See, God's calling to say I'm right. Listen, (laughs) when you stay close to Jesus, you do not have time to judge anyone else. You know why? Because he is taking that time you're close to him to point out the things in you that you need to change. I don't know about you guys, but he's always got something in me to change, I have not changed it all yet. I don't know that I'm ever going to get there. The list is kind of long. The closer you get to Jesus, the more he tells you what has to go if you want to be closer to him, even more close, right? So if you are rejecting that safe distance and trying to stay as close to him as you can, you will have enough to do in trying to watch out for your works and your faith. You have too much to do with that to mess with judging anybody else's. You understand? That's why it drives me crazy. When you judge someone else, you say, oh yeah, God's already cleaned everything out of me, I'm good to go, let's look at you. And that's what these people were like. It just, it it drives me insane when you see this. All right, because listen, you'll never be changed if you're focused on someone else. You ever hear the old saying, uh, you should mow your own grass before you mow the neighbors? Well, some people, some Christians I know, have grass up to their belly button, they're looking at the neighbor going, need a trim. You know, that's so displeasing to God. It's disrespectful to God. And he's saying, listen, what do you think? I can't do my job? I got the Holy Spirit handling them. He's good at his job. Why don't you back off and let me deal with you? You see what I mean? That's what drives me crazy about it. So listen, if you want to be close to Jesus, trust me on this. You're not going to have time to judge anybody else. You're going to to spend a lot of time trying to clean yourself up and make sure that, that things are right with you. Staying close to Christ should be our main priority. There's no safe distance. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and close there. Uh, We'll pick up there next week. If you would, please bow your heads. This is your first time. We always give a brief invitation, and here's why. It's amazing how the Word of God can speak to someone. I remember when we were preaching through the book of Hebrews, I was thinking to myself, well, you know, probably a lot of people won't come to faith. This book's talking a lot about, you know, Uh, Judaism and trying to mix, you know, grace and Judaism, and we had so many people come to Christ during that book. You know why? Because God will use his word, any part of his word, to speak to you when he wants to speak to you. And so I always give the opportunity, just in case God is speaking to someone, for you to do something about that. So while every head's bowed and every eye's closed, if you're not sure where you stand with Christ and that fact has become well known to you today, I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come up front. I don't do any of that pressure stuff. But if you'll just make eye contact with me and put your head right back down or raise your hand and put your hand right back down, I'll pray for you. Bless those people. am not going to chase you down after church. Won't email you. I'm not going to call you. Bless those people. I just want, if you're hearing that voice, to do something about it. Because listen, like that rooster reminded Peter he'd fallen. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's reminding us God wants a relationship with you those people if you're listening online or watching online god knows your heart i'll be praying for you but i always pray for believers also when we close in prayer and here's why i think the safe distance is becoming the norm anymore i don't want believers to worry about a safe distance i want us to be so close to jesus that we hear every whisper from his mouth because that's when we'll be effective so i'm going to pray that that we don't allow that trap of the safe distance to slip into our lives Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do, and I, I say this all the time, but I still can't believe that you would give eternal life to someone like me, because I certainly don't deserve it. I never have and I never will. And that's what amazes me, Lord, about your love is that you love us in spite of us. It takes a love I can't understand to love the very people that rejected you for years, but I am so thankful it exists. And I just pray, God, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, whatever it is that's holding them back. Move that out of the way. God, it's not about deserving. It's about believing. And I just pray that they could believe that what you did was enough to guarantee their eternal life. And if they can believe that, your word promises they'll have it. If someone makes that decision today, God, I just pray that they they seek us out or, or they seek out a good Christian friend or a good Christian organization near them because it's so good to have people to walk with you in this journey, especially as you just start. And Lord, for those of us who are believers, it is so easy for us to just accept that safe distance, God. Please let us all realize there's no such thing. Give us a desire to be so close to you, we hear every word you whisper. Lord, we know that when we are close to you, we're empowered and we're confident, and we need empowered, confident believers today. Let us accept that role gladly. Fathers, we leave here, keep us safe. Let us live what we profess. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us be excited about coming together one more time and giving you all the praise, the honor, and the glory that you're so worthy of. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.